Bienvenidos al podcast de Latino Founder Hour. Each week we invite you to spend an in-depth hour with us as we speak with a Latino startup founder from somewhere around the world. Aquí conocerás esas historias de éxito y fracasos, retos personales y lecciones aprendidas. And we have fun. We're live every Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific time. Tune in at startupradionetwork.com. O en versión podcast después del show. Escucha. Listen. Aprende. Learn. Y emprende. Launch. Bienvenidos al episodio 125 de Latino Founder Hour. Es, les saluda Edgar Navas, fundador de Clica desde Portland, Oregon. Y el, el día de hoy, viernes 28 de agosto del 2020, nos, nos este, acompaña un invitado muy especial para mí también, porque es uno de, de mis mentores. De hecho, ha sido uno de mis, de mis inspiraciones para, para crear lo que creamos. Y es la, la, la primera persona que creyó en mí. En, en, en el mundo del emprendimiento. Una de las personas que me ha dado mucho aliento y, y en las que yo he, he conseguido fuente de inspiración. Le doy la bienvenida a Joaquín Lippincott, fundador de Metal Toad. Joaquín, bienvenido. ¿Cómo estás? Muchas gracias. Estoy bien. Estoy me sintiendo uh, un poco viejo. 125. Son muchos episodios. Sí, así es. Y bueno, la gente que no escuchó, no ha escuchado el episodio 26, donde Joaquín inicialmente, bueno, no, lo presentamos, nos contó su historia. Eh, bueno, le, 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 los invito a que escuchen este, este episodio 26, que fue hace ya casi dos años. Pero bueno, Joaquín, este, cuéntanos, hace dos años estabas en Portland, ahorita estás en Los Ángeles. Estoy en Los Ángeles, de verdad. Um, y, Estoy bien. Uh, Los Ángeles bien. Es, es, es bastante diferente. Uh, hay mucho más sol, pero <risa> hoy en día yo, yo creo que la mayoría de diferencia, no sé, tal vez es el tráfico. Uh, ok. En in, portugués, uh, traffic. So, there is no traffic. Desde, sí, sí, sí. desde que, el, que comenzó el coronavirus, Uh, acabó todo el, el tráfico bueno, aquí en y, Los Ángeles. Y, y, igual por acá en Portland, ahora, ahora se puede uno mover de, de un punto a otro más, más fácil, ¿no? Mucho Pero fácil bueno. manejar. Sí. ¿Y, ¿Y cómo ha sido ese cambio? O sea, ¿Por qué Los Ángeles? Ah, Los Ángeles, porque trabajamos mucho con los, uh, las uh, uh, <ríe> empresas. Yo, yo estoy pensando en portugués. Uh, con, con las firmas uh, de media and entertainment. Entonces, okay. hay mucha media uh, aquí en Los Ángeles. Trabajamos con uh, Sony, Disney, The Golden Globes, The Grammys. Ok, sí, sí me acuerdo que eh, eh, Metal Toad es una compañía de media. Bueno, y, y ahorita vamos a hablar porque creo que ha habido un pivot, no un pivoteo. Sí, sí, reciente. También estamos trabajando mucho con, con lo, el Nuven. Sí, sí, sí. Entonces, es lo que, o sea, eso fue lo que te llevó a, a mudarte de Portland a, a Los Ángeles, ¿no? El, el cliente, el trabajo. Sí, pero también era, era uh, mi hija que, que hace uh, 10, 18 años uh, hoy en día, él, ella estaba pensan, pensan, pensando, pensando, <risa> pensando. Así, yo, yo voy a hablar portuñol uh, el tiempo entero. Um, ella estaba uh, pensando en, en uh, estudiar aquí en Los Ángeles y como somos una familia uh, muy cerca, yo pensé uh, que sería mejor 
a todo mundo estar aquí en, en Los Ángeles. Ah, ah, y también tiene, ah, ah, con, con mi negocio, ah, es mejor porque sí. nuestros clientes estamos, eh, están aquí. Ok, y, y eso, bueno, ¿cómo ha sido la separación de eh, dejar el negocio en, en Portland? Porque no, no cerraste, o sea, es, es, so, solamente dejaste encargado a alguien, ¿no? Tenemos muchos uh, eh, empleados uh, que trabajan en, en Portland todavía, en pero uh, cerré la escritoria. Uh, la oficina. Hace, sí, la oficina hace uh, cuánto tiempo? Uh, algunos, algunos meses. Ok. ¿Y, ¿Y esto fue antes de COVID o, o después de por COVID? No, eh, eh, comenzó uh, mejor. Yo, yo creo que debo hablarme un poco en, en inglés porque. Sí, 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 para que fluya. Porque no, no, no hace mucha gente que, que habla en portugués. Ese, uh, <risa> ¿sí? No, no, no. No, okay. no tenemos mucha audiencia en portugués. Sí, si sí, você queria falar em português, seria bem mais fácil, mas eu deixo para lá. Okay. Eu só entendi, mas bueno. Yeah, yeah. So it, it actually started, I, I, I wrote a, um, a newsletter and, and sent it out about uh, how to close an office. And it ended up, the timing ended up being uh, kind of perfect as far as uh, it was related to COVID. We shut the, the office uh, early on the lease and it was uh, March 1st when I turned in the key. So oh, March wow. 1st, and you can imagine, um, everything got really, really complicated for, for the people yeah. in the office. But it started about a year before, actually three years before, when I moved to Los Angeles, um, I asked people if they wanted to, uh, you know, uh, we, we talked for all of the new employees in Los Angeles about them coming into our office, which was in Century City. And as we started hiring people, we, we got a small office uh, with room for four. But mm -hmm. I hired, by the time I got to four people, everybody was still working uh, from home just because of the traffic and because of the yeah. commute. And when the, the team in Portland saw that, which is where the majority of our, our staff still is, um, they asked if they could work from home as well. And we had a beautiful office. You, you saw it. We had... Yeah. You know, wood everywhere, two refrigerators, a kegerator, a foosball table, you know, everything. Oh, it's fantastic. Yeah. yeah. It's a great place to, to go work and, and hang Fun out. One place to hang out. Yeah. Uh, but uh, when, when people thought about that and they started deciding whether they would go in or not, at the end of the day, only four people were going into that office that could support 50. Wow. And, and, and just so for the people to get an idea, it's an entire floor in downtown Portland, prime real estate, beautiful offices, but yes, the, the whole office, you know, the, the whole building floor. Yeah. And I think it's, um, I think it's just kind of a commentary on the evolution of, of, you know, what, what people want. Right. Yeah. Uh, I think there was a time and a place where, you know, it was actually critical. We moved into downtown Portland from many, many years ago from Beaverton. And this was our third downtown office. It was incredibly central, right next to Pioneer Square. Um, just great location. Yeah. Um, but people had decided that, you know, and the technology had evolved to a point where people were able to work from home. And so when only four people were coming in and I was paying, you know, $1,200 just in internet costs alone, um, wow. I, I decided to shut that down. I shut it the, the internet 
and I put people that wanted to have a space that was not their home into a co-working space in downtown. We moved mm -hmm. into Industrious, which is a, a beautiful space. Uh, <clears throat> and it was a lot better, you know, when with four people coming into, uh, you know, uh, this cavernous office, it just felt uh, depressing. Yeah. And so um, eventually what we did was we liquidated everything, um, turned in the keys and um, you know, so all the be all the beautiful furniture had to be liquidated. Well, you, you, you know, I wrote an article. It's I, I, any, I do read it by the way. I would just, yeah. no, no, anybody, yeah. <laughs> anybody who's thinking about that, it's, it's worth doing. There's a, there's a yeah. checklist and I share a little bit of the, the personal story. Um, but it's, uh, it's essentially how to close an office. And, mm -hmm. um, and with that, if people are thinking about going through that, there's about six things to do. The last one on the, the, the checklist is get ready for some late nights <laughs> <laughs> because you have to decide, does it go to the trash? Does it go to storage or, you know, donation? Yeah, yeah. 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 Wow. And, and that's gotta be, you know, it's certainly probably easier to start an office than to shut it down. Isn't it? I mean, in you your know, experience, what, what, what is it? It's a lot more fun to start an office than yeah. to shut it down. You know, it's sad. You know, it's sad when when it's an end of an era. Um, but, you know, the morale has never been better at the company. People really enjoy the, mm. the freedom of working from home. Obviously, even if we wanted to go into an office from a from a liability standpoint and from a, a, a risk of exposure standpoint, um, you know, it just doesn't make sense. None of our clients uh, you know, all of the, the big entertainment companies, they're all working from home. And so it, it makes a lot of sense. It makes a lot of financial yeah. sense as well. You know, uh, we were probably paying all in $30,000 a month just on that all offer. In. Wow. And we can redirect it to professional development, yeah. you, know, you know, profit, you know, because uh, it, it just gives you a tremendous amount of flexibility relative to needing to, to keep that fixed cost afloat. Yeah. No. Wow. I mean, that, that's a huge price. Uh, and, you know, I, I, w I would have never imagined, I guess I never ma made the calculation in my head. But um, again, you, you're saying right now the morale is high, e e even, you know, during the pandemic. I mean, yeah. what, what do you think uh, that, I mean, everybody's still working, mm -hmm. uh, but you can't, you can't really replace the, you know, the, the human element, you know, you, you can't do the occasional, like I remember in your office, you know, coming in and the first thing that they'll give you is a glass so you can yeah. grab a beer or whatever what was in, in the kitchen so that, you know being able to talk to humans right next to each other and i know right now we can't and we shouldn't mm -hmm. but um how do you how do you see this moving forward you know it's a really good question because i think from a company standpoint and i i'm i'm on the the board for the los angeles area chamber of commerce i was on the portland business alliance board before so i i interact with people from a lot of large companies and to a person they've said look we never would have done this experiment but now that the genie is out of the bottle i mean people like working from home and yeah. i think from a recruiting standpoint it's going to be difficult to say, you know, hey, you have to come into the office on a regular basis. Yeah, uh, I think it's really important to create spaces and hold spaces mm -hmm. um, for daily interaction and weekly interaction. At um, at Metal Toad, we have a daily stand up for everybody. Everybody has a team. Uh, for us, it's nine o'clock. Um, I should say nine, nine o'clock specific because now we have team members in New York. We have team members in Brazil. We have team members okay. in 
uh, I think Atlanta um, and Iowa, as well as you know Portland and Los Angeles, obviously. Um, but at nine o'clock Pacific, we all get together, uh, you know, every day for a 15 minute scrum. And that's whether somebody's a programmer or they're on the operation side or the sales side. And you check in, you look at your daily metrics, you talk about, you know, what your next 24 hours is going to be. Yeah. And for us after that at nine 30, so we have a, a grace period there, then all of the managers get together. And if there are any blockers, that's a really important part as well. You know, so if anything's blocking you, you share it and your manager takes it up the chain if they need to. Okay. But then weekly, we, we also present out, um, you know, I, I present every week uh, at the, at nine o'clock on Mondays, I, I say, Hey, this is the state of things. And I share out the numbers for everybody within the company. Oh, wow. That, that's fantastic. So that, that, that keeps everybody engaged, uh, informed and interested in, in what's happening. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think, I think that's critical. You know, once a month we take that, that Monday meeting, uh, which also we, we, we present and then we have, a, a basically a sales meeting for an hour, a, um, uh, a production meeting for an hour and then an accounting mm -hmm. finance meeting for an hour, all stacked up on Monday. Um, and, you know, because we have that recurring cadence, we can also take that once a month and turn that into a monthly management meeting. So you have sort of different slices of the apple. Um, yeah. Everybody knows, you know, when they can connect. Um, because if you, if you try to do, you know, one-on-one -on -one meetings and group meetings and department meetings, and it's all sort of grown organically, you can never actually get everybody together to, to make yeah. it. So you, you've got to hold those spaces. Um, and that's important. Although we're still trying to figure out how to make it uh, even more fun, right? We, we do have a good time, but we, we have a virtual summer barbecue coming up. Um, <laughs> I think in the future, we'd love to do that in person yeah. uh, and not lose that. But I think that uh, I think we'll be virtual uh, for the, the most part moving forward with some of these uh, biannual events where we all come together in the same yeah. way. Yeah, and that's that's something that I've been thinking about because I don't know, as a company is going to go back home, yeah, yeah it's it's fun and quite unfun because, you know, you, you're in your own space, but you also don't want to be here 24-7. I mean, mm -hmm. there is, you know, the social element, you know, the changing, I, I don't know, and especially for us coming in the winter, yeah. Uh, at least right now we can go outside, you know, in the mornings I'm working in the front porch where it's nice, <laughs> it's quiet, but come in the winter, now we're going to, you know, uh, go into real cabin fever. So yeah. how do you, have you thought about, you know, any actions and, you know, that are not lame per se, uh, <laughs> but the, yeah, because, you know, I, I don't want to, you know, honestly, I just, there's things and I know we want to get creative with Zoom and all these things, Yeah. but how, how do you... I mean, I don't know, how do you pass that barrier, you know, just trying, like seeming to try too hard? Yeah. You know, I think it's just, we're going to experiment and, mm -hmm. you know, we'll figure out what works. We've done a couple things where we've done, you know, like a monthly lunch and we sort of yeah. get together and we'll, we'll have a Zoom meeting and a Zoom call. Um, it's not the same. It's not the same as, as going out and all meeting in downtown and, you know, sitting down at a restaurant and, mm -hmm. you know, the the serendipity that happens there. So I think ultimately we're going to do that, but one of the, one of the things for us and, and we haven't, we haven't announced it yet. I guess this Friday is uh, this is the day um, we're going to be opening an office in Brazil. Oh, and wow. So, yes. Yeah, so we, we have, thank you. Thank you. We, we already have um, two folks down there that are working for us 
um, but we're planning on expanding our, our Brazil operation, um, providing services to people in Brazil from from that uh, uh, operation, okay. and then also probably you know cross pollinating, doing some some you know that'll be a whole other can of worms, right? Yeah, because when it's winter there, it's summer here, and vice versa, and you have you know time zone challenges and all of that. You know, fortunately, it's only uh, an hour different from the East Coast. Okay. Uh, but, so it's not uh, too radical, yeah. No, no, not too radical. I think it's it would be more challenging, you know, if we were looking at uh, Europe or or Asia. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, it's exciting. That is pretty exciting. So, so you're going back to your roots in Brazil. <laughs> <laughs> going back to my roots. Well, that's that's yeah. The, the question is why Brazil, but I, I know the answer. Yeah, yeah. Why not? Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, I've, I'm married to a, a, a Brazilian woman for 20 years. You know, I have friends down there. I have an uncle, cousin. Um, and so it's uh, it's kind of a natural extension. You know, I think yeah. for the for the people who have, you know, you've, you've got natural affinity with Mexico. And so yeah. it makes sense. And I think that, um, you know, when, when we look at opening, like, you know, going to an international office, it mm -hmm. does make sense to to lean into the the connections and you know the the, the culture that, that we yeah. understand. Now, is that a is that something that you envision, for example, in the future? Let, let's say we, you know, once we're out of this uh, situation, mm -hmm. envisioning you know, a situation where you have two offices, uh, you, well, now three, but you no, know, said two countries: Brazil, um, United States. People interchanging, going back and forth. Yeah, yo, absolutely. And actually, I, I forgot we have one uh, of our team members in, is in Canada. So okay. we're, we're sort of already spanning the globe. I should say we're spanning the Americas, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I mean, the, the reason why Brazil and beyond the, the affinity is there's 200 million people in Brazil. You know, it's mm -hmm. two thirds of South America. And a lot of people don't realize uh, how big it is, how, how giant the population is. And the you know, economy, yeah. Oh, yeah, the economy is huge. Um, and, and so I think, that, I think that there's a lot of opportunity there. It's also sort of one step closer also to, to Europe. And we do have mm -hmm. some, some European clients. Um, and so being able to sort of span that, that, those time zones a little more efficiently will be nice as well. Okay. Okay. And uh, now we're talking about physical office right now, or because I, I know Brazil is also one of the countries that's been most affected by, by this, you know, given the. Oh, it's all virtual. Knowledge. Yeah. No, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll have a physical address in, in Sao Paulo, which is, you know, the biggest city, yeah. uh, I think in South America for sure. Uh, but it's massive. It's like Los Angeles and New York sort of had a baby. Mm -hmm. It's as sprawling as Los Angeles, but as tall as, as New York. Uh, we'll be right next to the AWS office uh, down okay. there. Uh, so they have an office in, in Sao Paulo. Um, but uh, yeah, no, it, it, it'll, it will, we will have an address, but initially mm -hmm. and, and probably moving forward, a lot of people will be doing remote work, which, you know, you have tons of traffic uh, and congestion problems yeah. in Brazil as well. So because we don't look at butts and seats as our metric, it's mm -hmm. totally fine. We can look at the, the productivity, you know, based on, you know, code contributions and, you know, backlog grooming and, and all of these other things that I think, frankly, you know, they, they do a better job of measuring who your most uh, uh, effective staff members are. Okay. 
Well, and, and and that for you, you know, obviously, you know, given the the nature of your business technology, it's yeah. easier to quantify. I mean, you guys have already done it. Uh, like you mentioned, you this is this is almost like second nature yeah. for for you. But now, you know, you guys were you know a digital media company. That's yeah. how um, Metal Toad was born. And mm -hmm. now you're immersed in the cloud computing services, and more specifically, you know, AWS, Amazon Warehouse. Yeah. Yeah. When was that shift, or or what prompted? So I drank the cloud Kool Aid probably about two and a half years ago. Our our first cloud client uh, was actually we we deployed the Emmys on it back in 2013. Okay. And that, that was you know it was on AWS. It was a a hail mary because the site had been reengineered by a third party. And, and frankly, we would have had to rack and stack five times the number of servers that we had uh, set up in the colo. And um, we had a week <laughs> before oh, wow. a televised event. Yeah, it was, uh, it, it was a lot of pressure, but we, we were able to land it there. Um, you know, but for a long time, the, the cloud in my mind, and also just in terms of the services and the function, it was like, oh, you can get your compute and storage from there, mm -hmm. right? And so it was, rather than having physical server, you've got a virtualized server. These days, and it's really only over the past three or four years, you know, but really even in the past two years, it's accelerated. Everything can be built in the cloud. And so Amazon now, rather than just being like, okay, let me get a virtual server, you can have one of 270 products and services. So they'll do authentication and security and um, content management. And um, I mean, you can do satellite. You can have a slice of a satellite. So if you have some vision for something that you would want to set up a ground station for, you can spend millions of dollars to launch a satellite into, into outer space. I'm guessing on the low end, it's probably like 10 million, or you can pay pennies on the dollar and just get a slice of a, yeah. a satellite and the old, the entire ground station infrastructure uh, that's required to set that up. Well, and same way, you know, I remember, you know, us looking into um, artificial intelligence, yeah. same here, you, you could develop it from scratch, or you can use the libraries and, yeah. and AWS always pennies on the dollar, you know, yeah. a lot of work already done. So it, it, no, it is fascinating, you know, the, the, uh, as an ecosystem, Amazon provide, you know, providing the, um, uh, all the tools and, and the toys yeah. for you to develop better applications and better solutions. Yeah, I think that's the right way to think about it. It, it is an ecosystem. It is, you know, from, from our point of view, and I, I do believe it's the right one, it's not necessarily that AWS is better than Azure, is better than uh, Google Cloud. Uh, all three of the major providers have things that they're starting to specialize in. Mm -hmm. But I think that if you were building something on an open source stack that maybe was designed back in the early 2000s, I mean, people are used to that. That's, that's kind of, you know, old hat for them. They know how to do it. But you're going to end up paying a lot, a lot of extra money in terms of the maintenance cost and the ramp up cost versus, you know, building something using React.js and a, you know, modern infrastructure mm -hmm. Uh, that's that's cloud enabled. Okay, Joaquin, with this in mind, let, let, let's just make a quick pause, you know, for for sponsors, and we'll be right back. Absolutely. This hour of the Startup Radio Network is supported by Bridges to Change. 
Bridges to Change's mission is to strengthen individuals and families affected by addictions, mental health, poverty, and homelessness. They use their voice and resources to stand up to all forms of discrimination, mass incarceration, barriers to health care, and inequitable economic opportunities. Bridges to Change's goal is to empower people to be self-sufficient and become members of the community, who in turn offer the same opportunities to help others. They strive to have everyone leaving their organization with stable housing, social support, sustainable employment, education, access to health care, family engagement, and goals for the future. To get involved, donate, or to get help, make sure to visit www.bridgestochange.com. And we're back with Joaquin Lippincottillo, and founder of Metal Toad Media. Joaquin, so we're talking about the cloud, and this is, you know, a, you know we've had a lot of conversations with um, past founders mm-hmm. about the importance of the cloud. But, I, I, you know, you're one of the probably, if not the, the most expert in this, in this field that we had. What are the main differences between the services that are out there, just, you know, for people to have a general idea? Uh, well, you, you know, probably, I mean, there's 270 some services right now with Amazon. Um, the, the places where we're really focused on are, you know, kind of enabling that initial cloud migration. So mm. migration, uh, we're also doing a lot of work actually with Elemental in Portland. Um, okay. So all the media services, the video side of things. Yeah. And then the final one is machine learning. So Migration media, machine learning, machine learning. Um, but you know you, you've got a you've got a ton of opportunities. Uh, everything from authentication to storage to security to really uh, you know audio. Um, if if and the machine learning is probably one of the most interesting places because um, if you're creating infrastructure where you're you're sort of building everything, storing it in a data lake. Uh, there are a ton of opportunities to then analyze that data. Um, you can make as many copies as you need to and make as many robots as you need to, to, to crunch it and see what you, you could do. One of the things I find really interesting uh, these days is visual machine learning. And some of the, um, some of the press has been really negative in terms of, you know, uh, facial recognition is one, mm. one example of it, but you can do anything recognition. Let's yeah. say you're creating, you know, a, a, a website where you wanted to consume and be able to identify, you know, purses or what somebody was wearing or, you know, uh, uh, looking at people, you know, from a sports perspective. Uh, I'm talking to uh, somebody right now about, you know, can we identify uh, good moves in soccer? Right. You, you have a I bunch see. of video footage. Yeah. And then can you can you cut through the you know, nothing's happening on the field and just do the highlight reel, but do it via uh, machine learning. And that's one of those really, really interesting uh, applications. Yeah, no, and, 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 and I'm glad you mentioned that because we have, you know, talked to a lot of people that are quite concerned about the, 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 the visual recognition and how mm-hmm. data is handled, you know, privacy concerns. Uh, and now, you know, more, uh, very more specifically with migrant groups underrepresented. Yeah. So, it is a it is a real concern. I'm telling you because I've been in those conversations um, with yeah. nonprofit groups. Uh, but you know, when we pitch our services, it's like, well, this is what we have. They know we're gathering data. Obviously, I mean, because we you know we provide a service, mm-hmm. uh, and they're like, what do you do with that data? Who gets to see that data? In in the case of a subpoena, who gets that data? 
Yeah. So, uh, and, and again, you know, migrant communities, uh, disenfranchised people, they're very concerned. I know, you know, uh, it, it is quite legitimate. I mean, I, yeah. think, I, I was also on the same point of view. Yeah. And, and, and frankly, people should be concerned. Mm-hmm. I think the, um, the thing that that government needs to do if they want to protect their, their citizens is do things like uh, what the European Union did with GDPR. Mm-hmm. And GDPR has been really interesting. We're, we're doing some work with Siemens Wind Power in Denmark, where we're looking at, you know, essentially factories and we're gathering information about the the building of these you know massive wind turbines, but there are mm. people in the shots because people work in the factories. And so what we've done is we've created, combined with them, they have uh, an opportunity to actually extract the humans. So you mark where the human is so that you can identify there was a human here, um, but you actually pull the person out of the photo, completely erase them. You, oh, wow. Yeah. And, and so there's some, some patented approaches for that, but what's great is then you, you otherwise would have to throw that video away after 30 days. You yeah. can't do a whole lot with visual machine learning or the tracking of specific oh. blades throughout the, the fabrication process. But because we're removing the humans, we're saying, yeah, there was a human here, but that's who it was is not your is not important to you. It's not relevant. Yeah. 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 And, it, and I think it's a very, very different stance from what almost certainly will happen in China, for example, mm-hmm. where they, they will be very interested and, you know, it'd be meaningful to track the individual. And I think if you look at where you can focus and, and where you should focus, it should be at the organizational level. What are the practices, policies, procedures uh, yeah, that should yeah. be in place? And you can do that absent information that that specifically correlates to individual humans. And I think you'll build better trust with the humans and, and it'll be a, a healthier workplace than if it's Big Brother watching. No, I, I agree. So um, just to, to, to make it clear, do, do, do you believe that it's up to the companies themselves to police this? Well, or, no, not police. No, that wouldn't, that wouldn't be the word to uh, better manage the data. Ultimately, the only thing that's going to to drive that, because because ultimately capturing the data, not worrying about it, that's mm-hmm. less expensive than capturing the data and worrying about it. Right. Yeah. And so what what drives that uh, calculus for businesses is the liability and mm-hmm. what drives or can accelerate people thinking about liability is government. Uh, oversight, where it essentially gives, I, I think, trying to manage how data is is collected um, gets to be very difficult for government institutions. But if um, you can create a policy by which they're standing uh, for people to actually pursue and, and sue a company, right? Essentially, if somebody yeah. doesn't comply with GDPR, the danger is not just that the government is going to be uh, potentially holding them accountable, but individuals will be, their legal departments will be mm-hmm. able to say, hey, we've got to comply with this. Here, There's this massive liability on this side over here. And yeah. The other side, you know, so uh, government does have a role. Um, individual companies do need to comply with it. And I think that um, if it's done right and companies are held accountable when they don't, uh, it, it will uh, it will mean something. It will if sting, no company, yeah. Yeah, if no company is ever held accountable, then it won't. And It doesn't have a but. Yeah, but, but and, and we've had this conversations, and you probably too, 
But there's also got to be a fine line because, you know, the more regulations that you pile on, mm-hmm. the more uh, effective barriers to entry to companies like us, like startups. Yeah. It's like, hey, there's no way I could have started, you know, click with, with a GDPR effective yeah. in the U.S. There's, there's no way. I mean, the, the burden, the economic burden on, on the legal, it, it would have been the number one deterrent to even think about, oh, we can do this, but we need to, you know, we, no, not we need, we get, we, we gather this data Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it would have been a non-starter. So yeah. that that to me is like, where do you draw the line? Well, that's uh, why much people support it. <laughs> it's support <laughs> GDPR because guess what? It's easier for giant corporations to comply. I mean, yeah. it's, it's a trade-off, right? Um, and it it really is up to society to decide what is more important to them. You know, because. I mean, we, we are going to have so many issues. I, I was just hearing my, my wife was telling me in the news that there was a school district, not our school district, but there was a school district, I think, in the Los Angeles area who, you know, their their system was compromised. And so you have all of this information, Oof. you know, or Zoom meetings or, you know, Zoom bombing. I mean, it, it, this is a really, really interesting time in terms of what the obligations actually are going to be, you know, mm-hmm. what would be terrible is if the, the liability becomes so onerous that not only do, do schools not teach in person, but they don't tre- teach virtually at all. I mean, you literally yeah. could yeah. regulate society into, you know, homeschooling or no schooling just based on, you know, liability. And yeah. so I, I think, it's, it's important to realize that this is fraught, important to realize there will be issues. Um, but, you know, it's a, it's a really interesting balancing act. Yeah. No, and I agree because, you know, we have the people that, that want to go gung-ho. And don't, again, I'm probably somewhere in the middle. I still haven't defined, you know, where, where I live. But, the, the, you know, like just like I was saying, with, with honors, um regulations that would have been there would not be a facebook and instagram and people yep. live with that so as much as you know we want to hate him and not but you know you can people can't live without him mm-hmm. so imagine a world where we have those regulations like you mentioned that you know we can't do anything because you know it stifles innovation uh just because you you don't want to get sued or basically you don't have a business model because you have mm-hmm. to you know come up with large quantities of money just to do the uh the legal aspect yeah, and I, I think that's that's important to also recognize that, you know, the U.S. or Mexico or whatever mm. country doesn't exist in a vacuum. And I don't think there are any of those kind of regulatory uh, compunctions in, in certain other countries. You know, China, of course, is the one that immediately comes to mind yeah. in terms of like, you know, state is heavily involved with companies picking winners and losers. But there is no liability uh, to speak of for uh, companies that, that want to do certain things because, you know, the state structures things in a certain way. If we in the United States and the Americas um, are too onerous with our regulation, we could stifle it to a point where the innovation happens in other places. I think right. the GDPR in Europe is a really interesting uh, case study uh, because it is sort of a one-size-fits-all, which I think is, you know, ultimately it's better from a compliance standpoint uh, than, you know, layers and layers of, you know, state regulation or, you know, uh, uh, 
you know, city regulation yeah. or what have you. And so I do think that there, it's important that there is some movement and that there's a stand. And then what I'm hopeful about is that in compliance with GDPR, there's been some innovation to allow for, you know, for example, some of this big data capturing, some of the machine learning, uh, visual machine recognition, all while at the same time being in compliance with that that standing in terms of GDPR. Yeah, and, and that, that's truly important because you know what what we're hearing here in in, in the U.S. Mm-hmm. is that um, you know since nothing's moving at the federal level, it, it it's now becoming up to the cities, municipalities, and states. And, and it's what I envision is going to be a cluster mess for not. Saying, you know, <laughs> lack of a better word. <laughs> show. Yeah, I got you. Oh, yeah, that's right. We're not FCC, so we can say, but <laughs> let's just keep it PG 13. Well, sure. b- because, you know, Portland's already, and I'm telling you, because uh, Smart Cities PDX, yeah. uh, part of the city of Portland's already thinking and strategies, you know, creating, already creating policy with certain nonprofits, which again, it's great in theory. It's great in, uh, uh, I mean, I know their hearts are in the right place. But I don't think they they, they they're thinking about this in, in, a, in a global uh, in a global scale. Well, you know, part of the um, you know hi- history of trying to spur innovation in neighborhoods that you know were, were having a hard time um, yeah. was unfortunately you know through deferral of property taxes, which uh, enabled uh, essentially large companies or mm-hmm. you know companies that had money to spend. They created developments that were in there that in turn, they didn't hire people from within those neighborhoods, but people who worked at those companies then migrated in and essentially accelerated gentrification. Um, and so you have this well-intentioned legislation that ended up having you know, some, some actually reverse uh, effects versus what was intended. Yeah, so unintended think- consequences, yeah. Yeah, I mean, and and it's, you know, it's totally fraught. You know, one of the arguments against the ban the box legislation was that there were some studies that were being done. Are you familiar with that ban the box where you can't um, can't ask somebody if they've been uh, uh, guilty uh, of a felony? And so that couldn't be part of the process. You had to um, essentially Mm. wait further down the line to, to ask that. But the unintended consequences that that came up in, in some of the reviews of that types of legislation was that people would use essentially shorthand, right? And so they would target minorities and say, well, I'm getting a bad uh, feeling about this person. I don't know if they've been convicted of a felony. So I'm just going to assume they have and oh, wow. uh, pull them from the, the, the application process when the whole intention was to actually you know, improve opportunities who were trying, yeah. who had paid their debt to society and were trying to, to re-enter the workforce. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I could go on and on. I'm, <laughs> I'm a bit of a wonk in that way, but, you know, you, you have the, the intention um, and then, you know, things work out in a certain way. No, absolutely. And, 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 you know, yeah, I know you were pretty, pretty involved here, you know, in your time in Portland, Mm-hmm. In, in issues with gentrification, uh, ac- access to um, uh, d- diversification efforts in the, in the workplace for minorities. Uh, so, you know, I don't know if you're continuing that now in L.A. I am. I am. There's a, the Los Angeles Area Chamber of Commerce has a, um, a program um, called the Bixel Exchange. Yeah, so the Bixel Exchange, its, it's focus is entry-level job creation in tech, which, you know, is near and dear to my heart. They focus yeah. on 
recruiting people from community colleges and, you know, the Cal State schools, you know, schools mm-hmm. that typically aren't on the top of the list in terms of yeah. uh, programs as far as what companies are recruiting for, you know, but the we've been able to pull together an advisory board um, that actually has expanded the purview of the Bixel Exchange from being like focused on the tech industry. So Snapchat mm-hmm. was a perfect example of like a company they had recruited and created you know, an internship program in conjunction with them. And instead, now what we're doing is we're looking at tech as a function within all industries. And so we have the chief digital officer from Warner Brothers, chief digital officer from the Grammys, AEG. We have people from the airline industry, uh, really across the board, uh, Department of uh, Water and Power. All of these CIOs are coming together to say, Mm. hey, how can we create programs Uh, for these people and can we make sure that when we're drawing in you know you know some of these groups will have hundreds or at least dozens of internship opportunities can we make sure that we're we're creating a a broader network of of kids to to essentially Mm. bring them in and not even just kids but thinking about people who are reinventing themselves yeah this is a this is a time and and it's a huge challenge i mean everybody that's in the hospitality industry, everybody that's in the restaurant industry. Uh, and, and even before this, you know, it's like, where do people go if they want to move into space where they've got a, a longer term career trajectory? I yeah. think it's an amazing space. We just need to make more on ramps. Well, and, 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 you know, this whole pandemic just threw you, uh, threw you a curveball oh, yeah. because, you know, in the past, I remember, you know, that you guys were doing great efforts here in Metal Toad. And one of the things that stuck by me is you told me and, and, and I got to see it, you know, the people don't, you know, don't learn, you know, from a white person you know, going to high school or college and telling you, Hey, you could have a career in tech, blah, mm-hmm. blah, blah. No, unless you go at, and in the past, you go to metal toad, cool offices, you open that elevator door and like, wow. And then you saw Cesar and Aubrey, you know, all these guys are like, okay, you know, uh, I can see myself here because I got you got people that look like me, mm-hmm. people that you know talk like me, that eat my food. So I'm like, all right, th- th- that's that's the visual that we need. How are you going to do that now, moving forward? Yeah. I mean, not only you. I mean, I, it was just generic. How do companies, you know, uh, do that approach and tell you, yes, it, you 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 have a seat here? I think I think you know I don't want to um, let anybody off the hook, right? And mm-hmm. and I don't think that. Uh, white people or, you know, women or really anybody, I, I think you just need to be passionate about it and you've got to go out and you you have to reach out to people, you know, and it's like if you can have, you know, an African-American man who's modeling for a young African-American man, that's great. That's That's better than, you know, me as a white guy saying, hey, you can do it. But, you know, I, I used to teach after school, um, I used to teach a Brazilian martial art called Capoeira after school. And I uh-huh. taught all around Los Angeles. I taught West LA, Beverly Hills, and I taught in Compton. And Compton was, you know, it was probably 98% black, 2% Hispanic at the time. Okay. I, I, like none of the kids that I was, uh, I was teaching, and they were all, you know, elementary, junior high kids. I don't think any of them had seen a white person under the age of 80 before. And oh, so, wow. um, you know, at, at first I was, a, I was a little torn, but the, the kids in Compton, they were fully engaged. They were into it. And the kids of Beverly Hills were like, oh, sorry, I can't make it because I've got, 
you know, ballet or soccer practice or, you know, <laughs> that yeah, yeah, in yeah. their calendar. And so I, I think it's okay. I don't, I don't think people should um, second guess themselves. I think just an adult as a start modeling mm. and saying, Hey, you're welcome. I, I think is a, is a good step. Well, and, and I certainly welcome that because it's, again, another of the challenges that we've had in the past and we see, you know, moving forward, what we don't want to see happen is using COVID as, a, as an excuse for companies that, well, we can't do anything right now. You know, we can't recruit. We, uh, we're in a pandemic and now we, you know, downsizing or, or, or restructuring and that, you know, COVID is here and now we, you know, up here. And, you know, diversification, uh, you know, all these initiatives are now second or third thought or no thought at all. Yeah. Well, so. I, I think it's a, a really important. And I've always believed this, even when we were in, uh, you know, the good times. Right. Mm -hmm. I think it's important for any program uh, where we're creating entry level opportunities to be profitable for the companies, because if they're not profitable, no. then they're expendable. And so I think that making sure that that model that we're talking about, it's like, yeah, it can be a good thing. Yes, yeah. it can increase diversity, but let's get it to be profitable because if it's profitable, it's self-sustaining and it's not something that, that somebody's going to come along and say, well, diversity was nice when we had some money, but now. But now just like, let's grab, yeah. We'll, we'll do it next year. You know, <laughs> um, I, there's actually, you know, in Los Angeles, I, I connected one, maybe a, another uh, interview that would be great would be with a, a, a code school down here called Sabio.LA. Uh, and so they yeah, focus, yeah. their code school, they focus on reaching out to the Latino community, um, uh, specifically here in Los Angeles. I'd be happy to connect. Oh, you I would love to. Yeah, we'd love to yeah. talk to you. Yeah, to see what they're doing. And, you know, how, how can we help them uh, just amplify their message? Yeah, and, and I think that's it too, right? It's it's about really connecting with the broader community, yeah. you know, running up a flag saying, this is something I'm important, that's is important to me. I try to talk about it, you know, a blog about it, you know, and and we have our quarterly meetings where we, we get people together and, and this is what we talk about. We say, how can we create mm. you know, profitable models for entry-level folks? And I've gotten crap from people who say, well, why are you focused on, on entry level? You shouldn't be thinking about that when it comes to diversity. And, and actually, my focus has not been diversity. My focus has always been entry level because we need to bring in more talent. It just happens to be a vehicle for diversity because when yeah. you set a table and you say everyone is welcome, right? Everyone. I, I like that. I like that because, you know, uh, not, not just because you're black or Latino. I mean, we've, we've even had guests and, and, and people here in the startup weekend and the, uh, and the podcast, you know, going, you know, now for the 50 and over people that are on quote unquote unemployable because of their age. Yeah, I mean, yeah. there is, a, there is a bias. I mean, we, we got to say there's a bias for people um, probably even 45 and over. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. So how do you, if your career, if you already knew one path, uh, but you're not ready to retire. What are you doing the last 15 years where you're still productive? You have wealth of experience. Why wouldn't that be an asset? And yeah, why not an entry? I mean, you're obviously not going to start at the top. You got to start at the entry level, but you come with a wealth of knowledge, experience, in whatever area that you, you had before. Yeah, yeah. I, and and I, I, I think that there is, um, I think everybody is worthy. Mm -hmm. 
you know, and, you know, for, for somebody to hear that their particular demographic, if they're, you know, a white man is privileged, but, you know, they're working at Pizza Hut. It's like, what does that matter to them? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? exactly. Congratulations, you know, yeah. so I think, you know, everyone is worthy. I think it's really important to uh, address uh, sexism and racism, you know, and, and make sure that those things are addressed. And one of also the, the things that I think is critical there was a Harvard Business Review article on this is creating um, official paths for mentorship because that as a, a gender disparity actually is a huge reason why, um, you know, older guys don't feel comfortable being mentors to, to younger women, despite that actually being, you know, if there are a bunch of older guys that are established in an industry, it yeah. makes sense if you want to diversify that you create that sort of a relationship. But until there's an official relationship, it can feel weird and sort of uh, slimy for, you know, an older guy yeah. to reach out. Right. And so the more that we can create a really established, professional, well-documented pathways, I think the better it'll be. No, I like them. Racism, sexism, ageism, ageism. Ageism is huge in tech. Yeah. Huge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I, we, we saw it. We had a great discussion with a founder uh, about that and, uh, yeah, it, it just resonated with with the audience, and we had great reviews. But uh, Joaquin, so we're, we're we're running short on time. So what's what's the, what's the future for you? Oh God! Uh, I'm not saying you know 20 years from now because let's not think. It's just in the next couple of years. You know, for, for me, in, in terms of professionally, it's cloud, cloud, cloud. Yeah. I'm really excited about the the opening the office in Brazil. That's that's going to be really exciting you know, and, um, and provides a whole bunch of new challenges, right? It's a whole yeah. government bureaucracy to, to, to <laughs> Brazilian. Break. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, as far as me personally, you know, uh, on the, on the home front, you know, just uh, dealing with what, you know, my daughter is going through right now with, she didn't have a graduation. It was all virtual. Mm -hmm. Now she was planning on going to school. Now it's all virtual. And so we're helping, uh, her navigate that. Uh, and then in terms of this civic engagement, gosh, I don't know, maybe, maybe politics someday, but I, I got to get a few things Ooh. off my plate. Yeah. And, and for right now, I think, you know, really my work and, and probably will ultimately be my life's work uh, will be entry level job creation and tech. Um, so if you know anybody or if anybody is involved in that space and they want to connect. I uh, do. I'll put, put you in touch with Emily. Yeah. Yeah, Illum Hire. So it's a it's a new startup here in Portland that that has to do with ageism. I love uh, it. Pe people people fifty and over and very passionate, super smart lady. Uh, you guys are going to connect. I mean, just because you're, you're you're genuine, nice people overall. But yeah, I'm, I'm going to make a note on that. Uh, and I will, you know, I want to I want to see her succeed. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, and 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 the answer in terms of like employment when it comes to to jobs. Is, is yes and yes, right? I, I think a, a good job is absolutely better than a bad job. Yeah, but, absolutely, yeah. But a bad job is better than no job. And I, <laughs> I think, you know, the Right more now, you, yes, the, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's just about, can somebody get that foot in the door? Can they get that logo on their resume? Because I think once somebody has three years of experience in, in tech, generally the market will, will take them up and, you know, put them into the right spot mm -hmm. and they'll have great career opportunities. It's really a matter of, you know, it's like we have a, a medical system with no residency program. 
yeah. you don't want a heart surgeon with zero years of experience. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No, and, and this is great. You know, again, moving forward, whatever the uh, the future lies for us, um, who knows? I mean, you, know, you, you may be able, you know, able to work in Mexico while in retirement and for a U.S. employer or in yep. Brazil. Uh, and just work from your house, from your cabana, and mm -hmm. make make a decent living, and, and just work whatever you want. Move back to Spain or anywhere. So I I think that's also a promising future. That that's going to be one of the, the things coming out of this pandemic that's going to be positive. The ability mm -hmm. uh, to to just work from whatever you you want to be, mm -hmm. have that flexibility. But yeah. until then, you know, let's stay safe. <laughs> and 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 also, it's great to be able to get from Midtown in, in LA to downtown in, in 15 minutes. It's unbelievable. Oh, I bet. Yeah, yeah. And my, my my trips to LA, that's it's just dreaded. It's you know going from Long Beach to Beverly Hills. It was just like oh oh my god. In the There's middle no of the more day. traffic. Come on down. Come come visit. It's a, it's it's all gone. The only sad part is, in addition to the people working from home. We have a 20% unemployment rate in, in Los Angeles. And they're like, wow, mm -hmm. that, yeah. that is and, pretty and high. There, there are people who want to be working who just can't. And so yeah. I'm, I'm super conscious also of the, you know, the work from home is something that we have to get more people with opportunities that, that mm -hmm. can do that work from home. Because when you're talking about, you know, uh, being at the front desk for a hotel or, you know, cleaning rooms or whatever, you can't do it remote. And so I, right, I'm, yeah. I'm conscious of, of being in my bubble and hearing people say, you know, hey, we, we got to do what we need to, um, you know, but it's it's pretty Marie Antoinette when when we can work from home and we've got our keyboards and and yeah. uh, the people just and you tell, yeah, you, you fend for yourself outside in the in the real world. Yeah. yeah. With the plague out there running rampant. Yeah. Let them do tech. Right. That's the, the Marie Antoinette. <laughs> That sounds awful. Yeah, yeah, that sounds really bad. Yeah, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with that that thought and probably don't sleep at night. Not comfortable. <laughs> but Joaquin, thank you so much. Man. I really appreciate it. It's been fun chatting with you. Let's, uh, you know, love to connect uh, because I want to now on a personal level, you know, hear, you know, what's going on in in LA and life and just it's been. I know it's been a tough year and a half. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, f for us, it's it's been quite interesting. Yeah. But, but yeah, it's certainly always welcome and appreciate your thoughts. Man. Well, I, I think, I think we're, I'm glad to hear things are going well. I think we're fortunate and we're blessed and I definitely don't take it for granted. No. And that's the number one thing. I mean, you know, well, we're healthy. Let's, you know, uh, I, I keep telling people like, let's stay healthy. Yeah. You can be a little stressed, but um, you know, you, then you can fight another day. Yeah. Uh, but if you get sick with this thing, you may not fight another day. So mm -hmm. number one health and then, then we'll, we'll figure it out. Then wealth. And and then wealth. Health and then wealth. Yeah. But if you if you don't have health, you won't get the wealth. It's true. All right, Joaquin. Thank you so much. Happy Friday, everyone. Joaquin Lippincott, CEO of the Metal Toad. Thank you so much, Edgar. It's good to see you. Good to see you. You've been listening to the Latino Founder Hour podcast. El programa Latino Founder Hour es grabado en las instalaciones de NetSpace en el estudio Bigfoot Podcast en la hermosa ciudad de Portland. Our audio engineer, mixer, and podcast editor is Alain Beausoleil. Diseñador de logo, Carolyn Main. Our network logo was designed by Jessica Chan. Diseñador de sitio web, Cameron Grimes. Our production assistant is Chelsea Lancaster. Tema de música, Funning and Sunning, de Kevin McLeod. Cree en ti mismo. 
Sueña en grande y confía en el universo. De Marta Leticia y Silvia Romero. 